This podcast was recorded on May 13th, 2021. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. Broken Class is now in session. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda. And today, I am excited to have a conversation with somebody who has told me that they are a non-progressive candidate. And uh, they're running for the 4J school board. And uh, I have had some really entertaining and sometimes contentious conversations with people I disagree with on the podcast before. It's my pleasure to talk with Harry Sanger. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great, Thomas. Thanks for having me today. And I wouldn't necessarily call myself non-progressive. I just, I want to avoid labels. You know, I think that that uh, diminishes our conversation and it it kind of sets expectations before we begin of what people are going to approach uh, a conversation with. So It does. It yeah. does. We talked a little bit before we started rolling about how today it's it's increasingly true like i mean tinder is how people like find dates now and it's like (laughs) how quickly do we judge and the entirety of our compatibility whether it's romantically or just like as a as a person a human being how can i actually get along with this person or could this person potentially make decisions about my community you know we decide those things very quickly Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time i also think that people have um looked at your platform and thought you know you're really supporting opening schools up you're really sporting 100% mask optional in the schools as well as some positions that you know the progressive base of Eugene might not um, be into so we, we can get into that a little bit I want to ask you the question I ask everybody up top what's a controversial opinion that you have about anything yeah so you know it kind of kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about you know I think that uh, people in a society right now who think they're supporting a resistance to the system, they're actually operatives of the prevailing narrative. And so Eugene was given its identity by a counterculture movement, but today's activists in Eugene are not countering culture, they're enabling it. Um, we need to stop listening to the loudest voices and start being our own voices. So oh. uh, the Eugene Weekly, it used to be an alternative paper, right? <laughs> well, now it's the independent standard versus the conglomerate standard register guard. So it does have a r- wider readership than yeah. register guard. But what, where, you know, there's no widely available alternative to the weekly now. So, mm. you know, um, if fighting the system is easy, you're probably not doing it right. So, you know, I think you're going to ask a question about music. Well, I grew up listening to music that challenged the narrative, whether it was Operation Ivy or Mortal Technique. These guys never had exposure given to them. They had to fight for every album sold. And, uh, you know, what we're being sold as expansive thought now is really a defined narrative. So you listen to something like Jedi Mind Tricks, that expands your mind. (laughs) Dang it, Harry. People are going to come at me for getting along with you too well, but you're throwing out Immortal Technique and Jedi Mind. Vinny Paz, you can even hear the way I talk about it yep. when I bring it up. Um, I was just listening to the song Put Him in the Grave from Ser- Servants in Heaven, Kings in Hell. That is an amazing album, and it just the lyricism is incredible. The lyricism, I didn't want to get into yeah. that too quickly because I think <laughs> all right, all right, we'll, 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 put it we'll, we'll leave time for that. Um, but, okay, I think that you, um, as somebody who is running for office, are you've, you've mentioned a few times that you feel like you're speaking for a group of people that aren't heard. Mm-hmm. I also think sometimes that... I hear that that um, rhetoric being employed to talk about maybe people who are heard and who um, have been historically heard for quite some time. And the reason I'll, I'll say that, Harry, is because you've talked about, for example, history uh, being taught in schools. And you have, are opposed to a quote that I've seen from you is ancestry-based guilt. Mm-hmm. And, of course, so I'm a, I've done some teaching in the past, um, a limited amount, but... Um, I, I know that I do want all students to feel comfortable in the classroom, but you know where do you stand on this this conversation of um, we want people to be empowered with the knowledge 
that you know things in the past happened that are that are constructing a society that remains unequal today yeah. i think that i've seen you talk about how you don't want things looked at through an oppressor versus anti-oppressor lens i have lots of feelings about that but i'll let you um say what you think yeah so you know first off let me say i'm i'm all about having the conversation right and if we don't have the conversation you know i need to know how you feel and how people in the community feel in order to represent them but I feel like a lot of the narrative is going towards that way. So here's the thing, right? We were talking about immortal technique. Well, you know, people might be more familiar with a name like Public Enemy. But there yeah. are a number of artists, Mr. Lift, Sage Francis, Brother Ali, that touch on issues outside of polite conversation. So I was exposed to many of these issues that have now moved into the forefront of modern discourse, while the same leaders that are in charge today were either ignorant or intentionally avoiding them. So I recognize... Some police officers target youth, particularly youth of color and traffic stops or stop and frisk where that's legalized. I understand that the poorer your community is, the less resources you have and the deeper struggle you face in finding a path to success, right? I don't think that's made up. I understand that's that's true. Um, I received a, a comment. It's definitely not made up, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I received a comment from former Jefferson Middle School teacher, uh, Misa Jo, or as I believe we knew her then, Miss Kwaijo, in response to a forum I participated in. She shared... I also loved that school. The youth were motivated and exciting to teach. Hope you're carrying the Jefferson philosophy that everyone is respected and history and other subjects are from many perspectives. Best of luck. I'm going to tell Mrs. Toll or Miss Toll and Dr. Bolden. And you know, I agree. Mm -hmm. When we discuss curriculum, it is important to respect everyone in the diverse array of perspectives in our community. Mm -hmm. But what I'm currently seeing is a national but. movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I currently see with that? <laughs> is a national movement to yeah. turn the white man into the historical villain of oppression. There have been to many. To turn the white man into the historical villain the of oppression. The historical villain of oppression. There have been many historical villains of oppression. There, there have been many oppressors throughout history. And they don't all look the same, but the effects are the same. America. Pol Pot was awful. He wasn't white. America was founded <laughs> on universal values of individual freedom that were not afforded to the large majority of all of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Early pilgrims and Im immigrants were not setting out to become an oppressor. They were setting out to become free from oppression. Mm -hmm. I believe we should look through a lens of universal... <coughs> Excuse me. I believe we should look through a lens of universal humanity that we all share and not try to assign blame and make others feel bad because of how they look or who their ancestors were. Okay, so I'm getting a lot of ideas there, and I do think that... You know, uh, we chatted before and you basically said, you know, I had sent you some topics I wanted to kick around. I didn't realize you wrote such thorough <laughs> responses to them. And like, you know, that, there's a place for that. But I also think it's a, it's difficult to have that organic conversation about what you're talking about. That said, I do get what you're I Now I, I've heard a paragraph about what you're saying. So, um, but don't you think, hmm. Okay, there's probably some lazy history teachers out there who might identify themselves as leftists and don't want to do the deep um, background knowledge and dive into it, and so it, and and will take the easy way out. And maybe you'll hear him say something like, "Another case of a white man. Uh, this is just a white man, you know, um, being the oppressor as always, or something." And that's too strong of a generalization. But um, don't you think that's a little fragile to 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 look at? history and recognize you know because you've read zin yep. you you know you've read indigenous you're reading the indigenous people's history of the united states that it seems to me like there is the snowflakery that ironically comes about when people uh now feel as though you know 
white men are the new target of society. And I, I am kind of a white man in some ways. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, and my father is certainly, and I just don't see it because even though, you know, there are, there are real specific challenges that, that, you know, I've seen our family go through he's been homeless for, he was homeless for a long period of time. And uh, I think that there were, um, ways in which like let's say domestic conflict were looked at as he is instantly the aggressor versus um i don't want to get into it too personally mm -hmm. but i'm not saying that life isn't hard for people and that can sometimes it can be uncomfortable to recognize that you have like come upon ancestry and generations of of a society that was built to cater to people who look and talk and think like well not think like you but i just think that it's a it's not nearly equivalent to the to th those structures still being in place that still operate in ways that oppress people of color bipoc people um so i don't know you yeah. really think you really think there's a movement to say that white do you think there's a, a growing power in the movement I mean, joe biden won the primary by far over bernie sanders yeah who was the who was the second runner-up elizabeth warren kamala harris did not have a good run in that i think there's still a real perception that when people think of leadership, they are thinking of people who look kind of like you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of hear the question you're asking is, you know, how do we get more representation out there? And, I, you know, I, my answer would be we need to lower the barriers to entry. You know, before we, we went on the record, we were talking about, you know, how hard it is to run a campaign and how hard it is to get past the gatekeepers. So I'm all for lowering those barriers and allowing more access to our system. You know, I stepped up because nobody else was. I, I didn't want to, um, you know, I, there's a yeah, huge, you filed on the last day, there's a I think, huge right. time commitment to being on a school board and I, and I have children and I have other community commitments and I have a job, you know, so I understood that that was a sacrifice I was having to make for the community. So I weighed it. And in the end I weighed, you know, I, I needed to do this because I didn't feel that anybody was speaking up for parents who wanted their kids in school last September, who want their kids in school now with an option to wear a mask, not forced to wear a mask. And uh, the school board, when they, when they asked, you know, do you want your kids in distance learning or hybrid learning? There was never an option. Do you want your kids in person? Shouldn't they be asking that question, even if it's not a direction they intend to go? Shouldn't they find out from the parents what they want? One of the things um, when I'm it comes to... sorry to twist your, your question hey, about something into an another. Open, but, open dialogue. Um, yeah. Yeah. It felt a little evasive. <laughs> no, no. So, so, so let me, let me address your question. Yeah. Then. Yeah. You know, should the state be dictating curriculum? I don't believe they should. I, I believe that our community knows what our community needs. And I think if Salem is telling us what we need to include in our curriculum, then they're taking that power away from our community. And I think our community needs that power. So it is. So when you're talking about the amorphous um, blob of constituency saying that white men are now the victims uh, or, or will become the victims of our new uh ideology of the world that we're indoctrinating kids into are you saying it's the state that's doing that i don't know who your well, who your antagonist is here that you're talking about so so i think i think your your baseline is flawed in that um when when we're 
talking about, you know, essentially we're talking about critical race theory, right? Are we viewing the world through a lens of critical race theory or not? In all the organizations I've participated in, anytime that becomes the focus of conversation, we lose the focus on what needs to be done. And we spend time discussing the merits of a theory, of an academic theory, in order to influence our community and decide, like, how to move forward, how to use the resources we have in the best way possible. And it, and it overtakes that conversation. I believe it should be a part of that conversation. I shouldn't, I don't believe it should guide that uh, conversation. So that's the difference. <laughs> it's, 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 I think you're doing some both sidesism. You're like, you're like, I'm not, well, no, cause I'm in the middle. I'm yeah, not on, I, you know, right. So you're, so you're saying that it should be a nuanced situation where, uh, critical race theory or uh, should be considered, but not overwhelming. I think, you know, Harry, that, that, that what you're doing is you are, you talked about the importance of representation, but you don't really seem to want to do much about it. You said you stepped up to run because no one would run. And, and why did you run in the position where, you know, a longstanding incumbent, Anne-Marie Levis, a woman who'd been there and knows the system really well, dropped out of the race because she felt like after the George Floyd protests and this cultural moment, it was time to have um, a qualified black woman like Laurel O'Rourke, who presented herself as being very um, capable of taking on this role through her work in public service. You know, why run against her and then now say things like you are... Uh, every time that critical race theory is brought up, it distracts from what needs to be done. Maybe what needs to be done is listen to these voices in a more thorough way because it's not just head padding and it's not just, wow, you did a great job. You know, um, we love hearing your voice, but we don't really care that much about how well it's accepted. I think, I think it needs to be thought of in every conversation yeah. um, is think about those inequities because we sit on them. We sit on those today. Well, so your question is, why did I run for position two? I can break it down for you. Um, position three, there was already two qualified candidates running. There's actually a third candidate. And you know what? If I was a, a trained politician and I had a, a support team, uh, you know, a, a, a conservative base or something that was driving me forward, they probably would have told me to run for that position because I believe that Tom and Judy are going to fight Split for votes. Vote. And I could have come in and, and taken that position. You know, I, I saw uh, position six. Um, I wasn't sure if Dakota was, was committed to running. I asked a friend about Maya and um, got, a, got a response that she's incredible and she's an asset to the community. And, uh, and it dissuaded me from running against her. So when mm -hmm. I saw that Anne uh, Marie Levis dropped out and that Laurel was running unopposed, I thought it was a disservice to Laurel. I, I completely respect everything she does in the community, and I, th I think she is qualified for this position. And I think that she would want to win it on her own merits, not just be given it. So, um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see it as, as offensive to throw my hat in the ring and, and yeah. challenge her. And, and you know what? We wouldn't be having these conversations along the way if I hadn't done that. So Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a little interesting because she is, um, it, you know, okay, let's say Obama ran in 2008. Very, trying to be very magnanimous about race, not trying to talk about me being the first black president. And um, there was a receptiveness that people thought wouldn't be there for a candidate like that. I love Laurel in, Laurel in part because she talks about her black life mattering, her brown life mattering, and wanting to see um, changes because of how she was policed in 4J as a youth and how she didn't learn until the young generation of activists that are sneered at and looked down upon taught her that, that that her experience is important and so you're giving your hat off to her to her a bunch and i think there is something to be said about not wanting to run on a po about 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 that but it sure as hell wasn't given to her mm -hmm. i mean she had to really present 
you know, a really credible candidacy. One thing we talked about in private conversation, Harry, was um, because I was skeptical of your campaign. I'm obviously I'm still quite skeptical <laughs> of your campaign, and I'm trying to also recognize we're both River Road people, mm-hmm. and I think that you care about about issues. And God, I like a lot of your taste in hip hop, even though I think Brother Ali is cringe. Um, and so I wanna, I wanna. Here's the, the thing I don't think the left does quite enough sometimes is they're so focused on being on being pure and 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 um and having their um they're not persuasive because they don't they don't really they they look at the fact that if I demonize somebody and talk about all the bad things a person has done maybe they did a lot of those things but they're still my neighbor like they're still here and then what happens to them do they become more radical so but one thing i when i saw with your campaign was i I don't think this person's running a very credible campaign but they're certainly trying to fight to be perceived as though they are because there wasn't a domain name Mm -hmm. um and and things like that i you know you did you did make some yard signs recently which i think was pretty cool um but but you know, that's that's part of the thing. Laurel really earned it because she has that very credible campaign with with uh, imagery, with the the statements of values and policy that are very in depth, um, and then garnering a lot of the endorsements. Um, so, I don't know. It does. It feels to me like you're saying you should be taken just as seriously, and you really were a little upset that I wasn't initially going to do this podcast with you until Judy Newman postponed, and. Part of me has to admit, I'm kind of like, this feels a little like entitlement. Well, so, you know, again, I talked about gatekeepers and... I'm Lor- flattered Lor- to be gatekeeper. No, no, no. Laurel, Laurel has the little- support of gatekeepers. I mean, there's right. a former mayor because running her campaign. Because you did kind of say, say that I was gatekeeping or right. you felt that that might No, I mean, you are Rick Dancer. You know, I can't get on his uh, show unless I pay him, you know, his, his required uh, appearance fee. And really? Really? You know, obviously I'm running a low budget campaign. That's mm-hmm. true. That doesn't mean it's not serious. You know, I I didn't reach out to political parties or other established gatekeepers for support because this is a nonpartisan position. I don't believe a candidate should be beholden to special interest rather than the community. So I keep hearing other candidates speaking about change and representing marginalized groups, but there is nobody on this current board that pushed for reopening schools and allowing children the choice to attend in person and the choice to wear masks. It doesn't get more marginalized than that, having zero people representing your voice. So I felt, yes, like that's my primary issue. I have other issues that are related to that. Um, and, I, and I'm and i a serious uh, member of our community. And I, mm. you know, you, you had mentioned, you saw that I'm a, a board member of the River Road Community Organization. I've been on the Cottage Grove Planning Commission. You know, I understand you know, how these things work. Do I understand everything about the school board? No, but I watch some of those meetings and I don't think uh, everybody else does either. So <laughs> I, I have I have a legitimate interest in, in learning as much as I can and listening to my community and then taking those voices to the, to the board and being part of that conversation and representing unheard voices. If there's anything that I can say that it's positive, I can say... Besides the fact that, darn it, I, I think you're a sincere person. And I, when I hear people talk passionately, um, I, I sort of light up in a way. I don't want to know if you want your kid on camera. That's okay. Uh, okay. Um, and I think, Harry, that it's absolutely true that the board doesn't have a lot of accountability. And they are... Pardon me. I'll be right back with you, Thomas. I'm listening. All right. We try to do an unedited show. But if this goes on a little long, I'll just make a little edit. All right. Sorry about that. Like I said, I, I'm a parent, and yeah. uh, 
I, I, you know, I, I tried to see if he could resolve it. He couldn't. You know, he needs help. Um, he's yeah. a little guy. So, well, some people um, hate dead air, but I, I almost called the podcast long pauses because it takes me a long time <laughs> to think sometimes. <laughs> and I'm not going to be the Ben Shapiro where I try to just talk like this and well, make so, it seem that I'm really smart because I know what I'm saying. Right. You some, know? Sometimes the best conversations when nobody's saying anything. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, but at least you know I can agree that that the board. Um, for it to be critiqued from more than just one side or from several sides, I don't see that as a bad thing. I do think that your um, maybe it's 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 being um, a little more on the conservative end or being uh, not fully in line with a lot of the progressive ideas that have taken hold in a lot of spaces in Eugene, and I think for good reason that they've taken hold. But um, I do think sometimes you are uh, an enigma, and so I want to talk about things like um, your stance on. Um, comprehensive sex education. I think we got to have that at least in the middle schools. And you have basically said you want it to be opt-in up until high school. Um, why is that, man? I, I think I think there's a lot of really excellent data to show. Um, let's ju- from the, from the perspective of consent, for one thing. I think by the time people are, are 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 young, they can understand ideas about consent, and they should understand ideas about affirmative consent, being able to revoke consent at any time that's needed. Um, but also, you know, matters of protection and contraception and reproductive health. Um, Maybe I can be a little sympathetic to the fact that some people have um, views about about this that are informed by religion or informed by, informed by tradition. I'm not dismissing those views outright, and they might be concerned at the way that a school is um, is creating a conflict for people for young people when they hear one thing at home and one thing from the schools. But I think from a health perspective. You know, I've heard you talk uh, at the at the Calc student-led forum that people can check out if they want to see you side by side with other candidates about um, you know you could you could see in in the world of food um, having more health information given given to students. But I just think food uh, then wh- then why not have more health information given to students just regardless of them having to opt in 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 the domain of sexual health because. Um, I think a lot of parents dance around the issue and you really can't dance entirely around the issue of food because otherwise your kid dies if they don't have a meal. Mm-hmm. But if your kid never is told about some of the basics of sex ed, sex ed then they're not going to physically die, but they sure won't be prepared for some of the basic knowledge that I think people should have. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think there's a big difference between, you know, what you put into your body as far as like consuming nourishment and what you put in your body, you know, concerning sexual reproduction. And so the former, I think, is completely appropriate conversation for, for the public forum. I, I think the latter is a private matter that families are best equipped to address with. And again, if they're not and they'd like to sign that permission over to the district, they should be able to. I'm all for choice. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they should be forced to. And you know, I think there is a level, right, where, where reproductive health becomes a top concern. And, you know, I would say that's after puberty or around those years. You know, I don't see the need to teach first graders anything about sexuality. You know, that's a family's job. That's not the school's job. I don't I don't want my school doing that. And uh, and I've you know spoken to other parents that feel the same. And, I, and I've gotten support. And um, what about sixth grade? No, see, I mean, that's. That's probably, you know, my personal feeling, that's probably still a little earlier, but I, I, I think the conversation opens up more there. And as you get to like eighth grade high school, you know, it's definitely, you know, at that point, then, then let's, let's roll it in. But 
Um, so I'm not against, you know, teaching these things. It's just, I think they should be age appropriate. And I, I know that's part of the existing law, but there's ways around that. You know, when, when people want to find a way around something, they do. And I, you know, I see parents who are concerned about standardized testing, right? There's this big push, you know, we need to go to opt in, not opt out for standardized testing. Well, you know, isn't human sexuality and, and, you know, these lessons about reproductive health, just as important as standardized testing. Why should the bar be any different? I think that the those are not necessarily the same issue because no, they're not of, at all. Reproductive health is a personal, private matter. Standardized testing is checking off some boxes on a sheet with no consequences. For when the you look at it entirely as a personal, private matter, that is exactly the kind of thing that I think pushes it into the shadows. When I am watching a movie and I'm si- I'm I'm sixth grade Thomas, right, mm-hmm. and I'm watching um, the forty year old virgin with my parents, which which maybe happened when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Incredible. Incredibly uncomfortable, but if we were to watch Saving Private Ryan and watch, you know, all these explosions and gunfire and war, or watch a movie, uh, Brokeback Mountain, um, I I think it's so odd and um, a socially constructed idea, a completely socially constructed idea that sexuality is this is this thing that really is relegated to the private and the don't talk about it here and and let's 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 you know everybody clutch their pearls when it's brought up yeah. and that's why I love Megan The Stallion and and Cardi <laughs> the Cardi B you know well, coming see, out I there you had and talking good about taste it. in music Thomas yes you're damn right you were correct and <laughs> continue to be tape. correct you are wrong. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so <laughs> but but so no, I mean movies are a great example, right? Whereas testing, you understand, it's what, it's, what, it's it's it testing is so incredibly flawed and, and and measures people's income um a lot more than it measures something like like college preparedness or mastery of a subject. Yeah. And I I say that as someone who got some really good test scores because I was biased in that my anxiety made me super hyper good at yep. the test. Some people. Not so good. Yeah, so I'm all I'm all for lowering the stakes on testing. I don't think students should be sweating bullets over it, but you know I also think it's needed as a metric to see where the district's at, and I think not testing gives the district a pass for what they've done over the past year that I disagree with and that other parents disagree with. You know, that's again that marginalized group. But back back to what you were saying about the movies. You know, the the Motion Picture Association has ratings on movies. And, oh, I hate it. But there's PG thirteen. Right. Uh And that's what we said. What about sixth grade? Uh Well, when a kid's 13, they're able to understand the world a little bit better. And so by that time, they can comprehend some of these complex issues. But before that, the choice is up to the parents. Right. And the parents, some are comfortable exposing their children to violence and sexuality and, and whatever other drug use. And some parents are not. And the parents are not deserve to have that option. Okay, developmental appropriateness, I think, is something that nobody, very few people credibly deny, right? There should be things that happen at certain stages in the, in life. But, like, the MPAA is a shadowy group of parents who have given ar- ar- very arbitrary measures in terms of a PG-13 movie can say the F word one time, mm-hmm. but can, if you say it twice, it's R, and has this very incoherent and, and often just arbitrary standards. So it seems that you are at least citing that in, in terms of have, feeling somewhat comfortable with the decision that that shadowy agency is making but you're not comfortable with first of all what is the um are your are your parental rights because i can't speak to being a parent you Mm -hmm. can are your parental rights right now being violated by the the status quo in 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 terms of you can you can opt out right of sexual uh education i i don't think that all parents are aware of what kind of sexual education is being given to their kids at each level 
And you know this ties. So what's in, the worst thing? What's the worst thing that happened? Well, hold on, the hold on. on the this, banana? Tie, this ties into a question though that um, some some student journalists from South Eugene asked me. You know, how do we get more disenfranchised children into AP and IB programs? And you know what? Some parents aren't aware of that path, and some parents aren't aware of the sexual education that's being given to them. And so this is the, where the role of the school board can come into play. Like we need to communicate better. We need to tell families and parents what the expectations are. And, you know, the ones that are universal, that are district wide, that, you know, the school board should be sharing those better and making them available and opening the conversation so that we're not having to do this in a park here for your listeners, but the entire community can participate in a public forum. I have more than one listener. <laughs> okay. I, I hear Hi, that. Mom. No. I hear that. Um, and I think, though, that. Don't you think it's rooted in a puritanical culture that has limitations? And when we talk about puritanical culture, you know, you I've heard you mention that, you know, growing up in Virginia, you know, your local history was American history. Um, and, you know, we can get a little back onto that topic as well, because I think that you are concerned about um, an anti uh, a framework of oppress oppressor and non-oppressor or or victim or um, survivor of oppression, right, that you feel is taking hold in a greater way. And you think people should just basically learn that the Trail of Tears occurred or and was bad to the Native people or or not? Or, or what about the Civil Rights Movement? My point is that is that I don't think it's an entirely recent development that this that that it's been recognized that um, oppressors have existed in society. When I was in third grade at Eugene Gakwin, my teacher Julia Saporin, when taught she taught the civil rights movement, um, which even I at the time thought was done in a clunky way at times. Mm -hmm. um, when she mentioned Bull Connor, she 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 would have everyone hiss hiss because that guy was violently using the weapons of the state to enforce white supremacy. Right. I mean. How could that be controversial to recognize? You have to recognize that it, that the an oppressor versus anti. You, you, there's some things that you you almost can't teach in terms of a, you know, this side believed this thing and this side believed this thing. Now make up your own opinion. Like, is that what your view on every historical topic or not? Well, so so when you start talking about like a traditional American education where you learn about the founding fathers, you know, setting out for America. Um, you know, creating a land out of nothing and creating a land where, again, there were, there out were of nothing. They, they didn't have anything. They, they bartered with the natives that were, that were there. And, and yes, like over time, some of them attacked them. Some of them pushed them out. Some of them also worked with them and they were, they befriended them. You know, there were different interactions. There's no Man. universal way that this happened. This is one of those moments I'm like, can I put this podcast out? Because I don't think I can accurately refute, adequately refute, but, but you know, the, the sanitizing of history happening before my own eyes. You're installing today's moral understanding. Bartolome de las Casas, a brief account of the destruction of the West Indies. I, I it have was, not. It was, he was a cleric who was sent to go on, I believe, the third um, voyage of Christopher mm -hmm. Columbus. And he was gung-ho about the mission and then realized, oh, crap, I think God's going to smite us because the crimes against humanity happening here are so severe. Um, I think... Well, that's, that that's happened throughout history, though. And in order to understand 
why those crimes... I mean, that's, ag- hold, genocide hold on, doesn't me, always happen everywhere. Let me finish, though, because in order to understand those crimes in the context of how they happened, you need to understand who the people were in that land before those crimes happened, and you need to understand who the people were that were coming to that land. You need to understand where those people that were coming to that land were coming from. There's there's a whole complex interaction here. So I think when we start talking about it in terms of genocide and cultural uh, destruction, you know, again, a first grader doesn't have the wherewithal to understand the context. And so we need to give them what I would call a traditional American history, you know, an understanding so that when we get to the civil rights movement, when we get to, you know, the the interactions with indigenous Americans, they understand more about who these people are and they can they can uh, incorporate this this whole conversation in, into the you know their understanding. I, I I don't think starting from a position. I mean I I'll give you a great example of why all of this you know that's going on at the state level. So Oregon rewrote their genocide law. They they used to teach a class on the Holocaust, right? Well now it's not just the Holocaust. It's all genocidal events. The Holocaust was a very real thing that happened that was. Uh, you know, one man, one, one society's attempt to eradicate a group of people, right? A few groups of people, even. And it, a few groups of people. Yeah. But, but there was one group that, that was like, you know, uh, kind of targeted more than the others that, that were almost eliminated from the face of this earth by, by this pogrom. And, yeah, and it's tragic that they've had to fight for. And, and, so, and so Oregon's current law took the focus off of that one incident and spread it out amongst them all. So... You know, American slavery is a hot topic right now. When we talk about slavery, should we also talk about the Pharaoh and the Jews? You know, is that just as important as talking about chattel slavery in the South? couple of things, Harry. First of all, when you talk about the first grader, I think you really, um, and again, you're a parent. I'm not. But I think you're underestimating the ability of a child to have a basic sense of justice. You take their milk and cookies away, they're upset. They cry. Um, you you hit their sibling after their sibling has done nothing. They know that an injustice has taken place. So I'm not saying they need to be able to write a dissertation about, uh, you know, the legacy of American chattel slavery and antebellum slavery. But I do think that, that, that if you allow for a kid to develop in this American context with the flags flying and, you know, uh, military recruitment ads on television, etc., they form a framework of understanding that where the baseline is, okay... I'm proud to be here. My family's proud to be here. We look out for each other. And if you try to amend that understanding later, I think it becomes more difficult because they feel like you're bringing in a countercultural idea that, that I think people are able to understand that sense of injustice from an early age. I also think it's an odd uh, contention that you've made that is, is Hitler a, a completely unique um, uh, figure in history? Because you're seeming to argue that Oregon should be um, retaining all of the focus around that one particular and and awful genocide that occurred, why are you uh, offended that um, they want to look at other instances? Right. Well, I, I'm highlighting the hypocrisy. You know, either either we look at things in the context of the full breadth of history, in which case the white man isn't necessarily the bad guy because, you know— and. In Cambodia, it's Pol Pot. You know, there, there's been various oppressors throughout history. Let's learn about John Brown, incredible white man who was an abolitionist who put his life on the line. Uh, you know, I, I don't, but, I don't think that that's really happening. So, so I kind of draw the line though because CRT and this movement, it, it, 
has been used over the past year to promote a culture where people feel it's okay to topple a statue of our founding father, George Washington, and I draw the line right there. I'm sorry, I think it's been used but if as we a think that George Washington is News. a slave owner and nothing more, it happened in Portland. People I, don't say that, that he was a slave owner and nothing more. Then why would People you tear down a statue of him? Because he was a figurehead who uh, had an incredible moral uh, uh, lacking in that area, an incredible moral deficit, that there is a, there's a tremendous irony to the fact that our most basic dollar bill that we hand around, that we ascribe value to, has the face of this man who has... Uh, who has that that in his history and and that we all know and recognize and we're okay with it i think i'm not but, telling but he you helped, that right he now the create a a system of government that was unheard of in the world at the time that has allowed us to get to this place where we are today where we can recognize historical injustice but there's also a path to fix it you know slavery you know, happened, down a statue is, then, is not is not an act of physical violence or do you think it is um, I, I think it's intimidative to a, to a certain group of people. I, you know, I think it carries an emotional weight to it that if you say I, breaking a window carries an emotional weight to it, that if you say that's not physical violence, cause I didn't hit you, you know, now, now we're talking about, you know, you can call me Antifa, the anarchist, you know, that's what they've always been known as who mm. send one group of black block in to break shit. And then they send another wall of moms right behind them to say, Oh, we're the victims, you know, and it's, it's all mental manipulation. It's controlling the narrative. And if you're a revolutionary, you know, I, I guess that's cool, but we have a system. And if you're, Voting for a board member for 4J, then you should be supporting somebody who understands that we have systems and we need to work within the systems to make a better society. So the wall of moms was actually um, widely critiqued for the fa- within the community of activists for the fact that they were attempting to um, say that we're here and we are absorbing the blow and we're on the front line. But it really recentered a largely white group of moms who were not um, the victims uh, and the survivors of what was going on. I think that that's. Um, you know, but but it is a real difficult thing, Harry, because because like, well, but, I no, grew Thomas, up with a lot so hold of on, that's who, a great point though, mm-hmm. because you're right. I just think we're it, getting it, different information. It, it, it's it, hard. No, I mean, sure, we're we're hearing things from different you know viewpoints, but you're talking about centering the conversation, removing the focus. You know, the the original BLM marches, right, were because people felt Black Lives Mattered, but that society didn't feel the same way. Well, when people start breaking things and looting and burning things down, and they're doing it in the name of BLM, but none of the national leaders from BLM, who we now know are, are multimillionaires, none of them spoke out and used their platform to denounce the physical violence that was occurring in the name of their movement. And if they had, wouldn't that have helped to recenter the conversation back to the things that were important that deserve a, a space in our conversation, but they just don't deserve to guide our entire conversation? There's so many other things that are just as important and different people have different priorities and if we say this is the priority of society now and this is how we're going to guide every conversation then all these other things get left out right and so i'm just i'm just saying like let's let's return to common sense you know let's return return to civil discourse and we can talk about these things in context Mm -hmm. and we can try to figure out ways to fix them is it easy no man government's super complicated and the second you think you got it figured out you realize that you don't know anything (laughs) You know, every every it's action made to be uh, difficult to penetrate. Every action that we understand. have, though, ripples out. You know, you can do something sure. simple like raise the minimum wage. Well, then the cost of a burger goes up, right? And that's just such a basic example. I'm not talking about minimum, but 
You know, okay. there, there's so many things that impact other things. And, and so that's why we need to have these conversations. We need to hear voices, all the voices in the community. We need to open these forums. We need to make them accessible. Is there a movement, Harry, that you that has happened in society, American society, in the last 100 years that you're grateful for and you think is a good movement? I mean, I, I like the hippies. The hippies? I live, okay. in, I live in Eugene. You know, Hi- I'd be wearing a tie-dye shirt right now if, uh, if, if I were there a proper was, hippie. But Okay. Hippies 501c3, if that were a, 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 a organization that says we represent the movement, I would think that that's kind of uh, messed up too. And that's what I think is one of the one of the things you're conflating Black Lives Matter with um, the organization that's called Black Lives Matter when there there's movement for yep. black lives. Locally, we right, have showing up for unity, racial, yeah. racial no, justice. Absolutely. And, that's a fair point. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's where I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people here, um, the leaders of this movement are millionaires because... The leaders of the movement are millionaires as you hang out with your kid. I, <laughs> just for the audio people, I like to, yeah, to yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Give them the play-by-play. Exactly. Um, I, I think... I think it's. I think the media landscape is toxic, Harry. Because, um, you know, I've not known you before this, but I. I don't think that you're a hateful person. But and I think I'm doing you a favor by telling you that I think you're animating some some ideas that are racist. And and, and I want to know how you respond to that because because I don't think you want to be animating ideas that are racist. So, but I. Th- but I think like you know. M- I'm not going to defend the the entirety of actions that occurred under the banner of or people who were disrupting the movement, um, and and it's particularly when they went after um, and broke businesses that were owned by like be- people of color. Um, but I think that when you give people no other legitimate um, opportunity to try to make change occur, and you talked you just talked about how government is opaque and hard to mm-hmm. hard to influence. What else do you think is going to happen? You know? Yeah. But see, so here's the problem, right? You know, you, you just, you know, you didn't call me a racist in as many words, but you kind of did. And I'm not a racist. You know, okay. I, I don't know if you know the Oregon Country Fair. But there, oh, well, come on. But there was some, there was some drama that went on there with, with a good friend of mine. And he was accused of being racist for something he said while, while, you know, a person of color was talking about, you know, her challenges as a person of color. Mm-hmm. But... There was this knee-jerk reaction. He wasn't given a chance, despite everything he's done for the community. That that's volunteer work. That's you know working to build up a community. That's working to build up communities of color. Like he has put in the work, and then one thing he gets turned around and called racist. And that's that's what I'm fighting here, man. That's what CRT is. It's like this poison that infects our dialogue that prevents us from saying real things and having real conversations because mm. we're starting through a lens that's already decided the outcome before we even start. Um, I am very sensitive to false allegations or yeah. or um, people piling on against individuals and being able to easily um, ascribe a term like racist to your friend and be able to say, then you should all, there's guilt by association and you should detach yourself because I think that isolates those people further. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's a good way to look at human beings. I think people are complex. Um, and I think that, uh, however, that you have accurately, I think um, kind of elegantly, um, stated that I was accusing you of animating some things that are kind of racist, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and thank you for not just storming out entirely. 
Um, because I just think that it's the water that we, it's the air that we breathe. It's, um, I'm sure it's some component of it. People think it's a stretch could be applied to the way that this table got here <laughs> and was, was the funding was determined to put this table in this largely white community, or we moved out the Kalapuya, et cetera. So, um, I think that in any, okay, I think give you a little bit of credence that the world is complex. And anytime we try to use one, um, conclusion to look at no matter what the issue is no matter what the evidence i already know um what my interpretation of it is i do think that's unhealthy but it's just a really difficult um thing for me to be able to talk to people who you know i'm i'm kind of a i'm a person of color and i'm kind of a minority a racial minority or whatever but i don't think i experience nearly the kinds of oppression since day one that a lot of my black and brown siblings of this planet experience and so I just can't blame them too much for um, seeing it, yeah. seeing their lived well, experience in so many places. And, and to be fair, you know, something something you said that, that you know, I, I told you before we started, I liked reading off of a sheet because when I just start talking, you know, I don't, I don't have the same filter that I do when I'm able to put the thought into writing something down, right? Mm. So I blame CRT. CRT is not completely to blame. You know, you mentioned it's, it's the media narrative, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's the left and it's the right, but really it's like the six companies that control all of the media. Um, they're dictating how we're having this conversation right now. And I'm blaming it on CRT and then you're saying this thing. But, you know, <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying is I see CRT being used as a tool of the media to distract us from accomplishing good things and, and being progressive, you know, moving forward, because I'm, I, again, I'm not anti-progression, mm-hmm. you know, I just want progression to be in a sensible way that, that hears all the voices in the community that includes a diversity of, of viewpoints and that we're all considered and, and that, you know, outcomes are considered and the repercussions and that we have these complicated conversations and we do the planning that's needed to be done to, to create the society that we all want to see. I mean, I can't change what happened over the past hundred years, but I can change what happens over the next hundred years. Well, that's good. I think that when you've talked about, um, you know, ancestry based guilt, I think that, um, that needs to be a, just a, just a, as, as simple as being able to ride a bike or some other thing that a lot of people are able to do is to be able to understand that it was ancestors that are dead and gone that enacted a lot of these things and that it wasn't that individual person but that there is still an enormous framework of benefit that is slid right that they've slid right into and won the genetic genetic lottery and if you don't have um any anybody who is able to take responsibility for those things that happened in the past, but they still benefit from it, then it's not going to change. And so there shouldn't be a guilt. There should be an an empowering and a, and a recognition to translate that energy yeah. into doing something good. But it doesn't always mean centering yourself and saying, you know, I'm the big anti-racist who's going to come in and and make this uh, this happen. I think that there is a real the, the sincere thing I like seeing about some of these these um, school district races is seeing representation from people who um, are deeply qualified and that that voters it's okay to consider that yo oh, this group of people who have been here for so long they maybe they need they need a voice too yeah so so I I mean. I look at the makeup of the board and I look at the other people are running and how can you say those people don't have a voice? Every single person is, is supportive of this narrative that you're sharing. And there, yet there are people in our community. They have very different ideas, man. Sure. sure, They all have different ideas, but they all come from, you know, they, they all largely support 
this idea, and there's people in our community who don't, and they're not racist. They're just normal people who see things a different way, and they have no voice speaking for them. Who 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 speaks for them? Okay, you know, can what's you name the idea? Name? What's the ideology? Because it yes, if it's the if the idea is no, I mean, let's I'm, consider I'm saying, um, the I, historically marginalized perspectives yeah. as one thing that we consider. Yeah, everyone should agree with that. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with that? I, I I think you've made some great points there, Thomas, and I and I don't disagree with them on the face of it. I just I don't feel like there's anybody who's saying the things that I'm saying that's on the board or running for the board and. You know, have I had all the conversations with some of those groups that you said? I, I, I've interacted with some of them. You know, I've, I've, I've met with Serge. You know, I, I'm, I'm on the River Road Community Organization. I've gone to some of our diversity um, meetings, and I, I've gone to some at, at Lane Transit where I work. And, you know, I've been involved in these conversations because how do we grow if we don't hear the conversation? Sure. But I feel like everything right now is being pounded from one side and there's nobody addressing the other side and there's nobody speaking for them. And, you know, I'd love to continue this conversation with you, you know, off the record another time. Uh, you know, one voice that I was particularly impressed by, you know, if you want to get your, your listeners angry again, um, I watched the, the live stream that, you know, Trey and I think others did of the original night in Eugene after George Floyd, when all this started uh -huh. and I watched Isaiah Wagner stand up and, uh -huh. and, speak against the violence that was occurring and saying, this is not what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And looking for a, a, a discourse, a conversation, how do we improve things with words, not by breaking things and intimidating people. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love to chat with Isaiah. I don't have, I don't have his, um, you ever talk to him at all? No, I, I, I don't, I don't have a connection to him. Mm -hmm. Um, so if, if you could hook that up, that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear these voices and these concerns. And I would also look to represent that you know what I'm hearing, but I, but I need to represent everything that I'm hearing. And I feel like there's a whole nother part of this conversation that's not being represented. Hmm. Right. I mean, I, and how do you, how do you fix that? And well, I think that the, um, the movement that has risen up around some of these candidates is fundamentally also about views that haven't been represented on the board. So I think that everybody feels this, man. That's one of the things that I, that as human beings, as mammals, that's a limitation is, is we evolved in a, a context where if, if we were isolated from the group, we weren't, we were going to lose our food and we weren't, we were going to get eaten. Yeah. And so that's kind of why we feel, feel loneliness. And we, we perceive the negative and, 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 and experience it and attach to it a lot more than we, we perceive the positive. So I, yeah. I think that it's not entirely wrong that, that you are standing, um, for things that are not, um, Put out there in the in the discourse around these board races, but I also th I don't know how well you're going to do in the race. I I, I don't I don't want to assign a number <laughs> to it. You're not likely to win, um, but um, maybe that is because there isn't as much of that. I mean, if but then who speaks for those people? They don't matter. Then that minority just no, gets lost. It's not that they don't so matter. Hold on, that's because I, 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 really I really need to go here. You can see this little guy pulling on me, but Bummer. let me. This just hijacked our whole conversation, right? We were having we were having some other topics, and then this topic came up, and it dominated. And that's what I'm saying. It does that over and over and over <laughs> again. That's what I'm opposed to. So mm. let me get back to what I support, because no other candidate supports opening schools 100 percent leaving online as an option because everybody needs a choice but masks optional in person available I, I looked up some numbers as of april 28th there are about 560,000 deaths in the u.s attributed to covid19 
Only 25,000 of those are people under the age of 50, and only 277 occurred among school-aged children. This is since COVID started. The 2018-2019 flu season, one flu season, not two years, 450 kids died 0 to 17. So, Have you so heard this, about the this does multi, not hold on. Hold on. So this does not inflammatory response that that young children are very. Uh, I, I have not seen a peer-reviewed study to. that supports the fear-based agenda that you're trying to push right now. So <laughs> this is a disease that disproportionately I've seen affects some of the older that you people. Post, man, they're not they're not research. I'm talking about Johns Hopkins University is talking about I, 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 I multi post, uh, multi-system okay. inflammatory uh, response that it, you know can lead to inflammation of blood. Uh, and that young people up to age 17 are especially susceptible to, other people aren't very susceptible to. And I've also... Um was that was that before or after we artificially shut down society and expanded a natural life cycle of a virus from one flu season into the other by trying to control nature? In my limited experience of teaching, I, I recognize that sometimes that when um, you're you have a classroom, um, you have to. Um, and have you ever done any teaching? I, I have not talked. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, it can help to uh, not be incredibly loose with rules and regulations at the beginning because it's a lot harder <laughs> to ask people later to take you seriously and to become a little more strict. Sure. Um, I, I supported two weeks to slow the spread because there was an unknown and there was a fear. But when two weeks became a year, I mean, we're not talking about <laughs> slowing things down at the mm -hmm. beginning anymore. We're talking about controlling people. I think that and there's people also... that don't want to be controlled and there is nobody speaking up for them, Thomas. I'm trying. Am I the best voice for it? Am I the most well-funded? The thing is, no, I've heard you talk here, about how there's, there's a lot of people who are who are resonating with this, and there's I'm seeing candidates in Beaverton. I'm seeing candidates all around the country responding to the kinds of things you're talking about, and with CRT as well, and with um, opening schools. But it just doesn't seem, you know, your page has 34 likes. I mean, in a, a city of 170,000 people, like, maybe... Um, well, a lot of but, people but do I can't think go that to the, the science is is uh, the. It I couldn't go to the bar and invite people to come join my campaign last week because <laughs> Kate Brown closed them down. Right? You know, we're in an unusual time. You mentioned that about your race for mayor mm -hmm. back when you know COVID hit. Mm -hmm. It changed the way things work. And if I'm mm -hmm. going through Facebook and I'm trying to get people connected on Facebook, they won't give me the time of day running a political campaign unless I have the right funding source in place to pay them to get followers. And I'm not mm -hmm. paying for followers. I'm doing this. This is grassroots man it's as grassroots yeah, as they you, get you know what i might only have 30 paying for followers I'm, either yeah every other candidate has paid advertisements oh, okay but not for okay right I hear what right you're saying. so they're getting their reach there's there's freedom of speech but then there's freedom of reach and i don't have a freedom of reach i don't get an endorsement from ew there was no way i was gonna get that mm -hmm. no possible way you know i read their articles they gave me a little bit of coverage which was nice thank you but it was slanted yeah, and then there was a piece in the slant. That I didn't was reach even out more to, slanted. Any, to any people for um, endorsements at all. <laughs> for similar you reasons. Know, register guard just asked questions, made them available. That's great. Voters don't know where to get info. You mm -hmm. know, I've been pointing people to vote four one one dot org, but there's no voters guide. People don't know who I am or what I stand for unless they stumble across me. And so I've been doing some outreach and trying to reach people. I might only have thirty four followers, but guess what? Those people are real people in our community that have real voices that feel like they're not being heard. I am nodding along to that. <laughs> My voice keeps breaking. Um, but I also think that you could have helped yourself a little more. Post a picture of yourself as the, you know, make it either the banner or, you know, the profile picture of the page. For a long time, it didn't even say your name. It's just an HJ mm -hmm. for 4J. And then your initials are HJS. So I think, yep. you know, hey, one, I, think, one of my followers, I think it was very quixotic. One of my was, followers pointed that out. And then uh -huh. I changed it. You know, I don't I don't have a big team. I don't have a former mayor. You know, I didn't reach out to Jim Torrey and say, hey, Jim Torrey, can you get me on the school board? You know, like, 
No, I, you know, I understand that there's whatever, but, um, you know, I, I, I could have gotten another former mayor, you know, against a yeah. former mayor. Why not? You know, mm-hmm. um, a conflict of interest, whatever. But I, I don't have, you know, systemic power behind my campaign. And I don't think that should be a bad thing. And my question would be, why does a candidate have to have systemic power to be heard? Why does a candidate have to have access through these gatekeepers in order to get exposure and have their voice heard? I think this should be a public process that should be open to anyone, you know, particularly people who feel marginalized, whether it's because of their color, their their gender, you know, whatever part of their identity that they don't feel like is being heard, they should have access. And I'm 100% for that. And so that's why, you know, like we're talking about CRT and, mm-hmm. you know, do I take a hard line we stance need to go on back it? to that, man. Well, but, I, we, but only because there's nobody reasonable, you know, we're not having a reasonable conversation, right? You get the two extremes in the media and that's conversations it. About, about how that's implemented on a day to day. You know, that's why I like Tom's candidacy. He knows what these policies mean in the actual classroom. And part of the reason why I think that we can't just do this, hey, um, totally completely values neutral idea about history and this group did this some people died this group did this and some people died and you know decide for yourself is that i think like young people could be rebellious too and like if you give them the opportunity to well i think of course i think people are, are free thinkers and should be able to think freely but like but we have to give a little bit of guidance and say uh you know, because otherwise they're gonna they're gonna legitimize and justify you know this this frustration based um ideas that aren't not necessarily historically accurate um harry i think that you know as somebody who okay when i when i did my my little run for office and it was it was kind of wild and you know i didn't (laughs) take any money and i didn't make any yard signs or anything in some ways there's things i did that you didn't that you're not but there's some ways you that you are you you did yard signs that cost money i didn't do anything involving money really um and um you spend time being frustrated about and talking about how, you know, people look at me. I'm a marginalized voice, too. Mm-hmm. But I think you could have done a better job, and maybe it would have taken more time, of course. You got into the race late, of presenting yourself in a way that that, that takes on that credibility. Because why would the Eugene Weekly look at that that Facebook page? And, and it's not... It's not that hard, I think. I don't want to be too generational, elitist, whatever, to get... 50 100 likes on a page reach well, out to it, some it is people. when you're saying like, unpopular opinions on facebook yeah you know social media guides this narrative and so um you know what the thing is like i'm not even disappointed that i have 34 followers i'm grateful that i have 34 followers that means i'm i'm reaching people and that they're reaching me and i really appreciate hearing from people that support the campaign i really appreciate hearing from our students because they're the ones they might not be able to vote in this election but they're affected by it and their voices are so powerful and so there's a broad spectrum they all need to be heard and um you know, I'm sorry. I got to kind of cut this short because yeah. I'm being I'm being dragged away, and, and I understand. Uh, I'd love to come to a more, um, you know, uh, planned exit here. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I never I, got to show you my vaccine passport. Oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> you demand, which yep. I thought was interesting. You kind of felt like um, the vaccine conversation isn't one you're super comfortable mm-hmm. with because you think it's a matter of personal health. When I was like, "Are you vaccinated? I want to know how close I can sit to you." Yep. Blah blah. And, you know, I, I just think it's one of yeah. those things where, like, we want freedom and we want to, to emerge out of this, but no one asked for this pandemic to happen. And we just have different ideas about how responsible we are to one another. I just think it's un- it's a little um, maybe inconvenient for your side that uh, the selfishness can sometimes be yeah. easily um, excused under that banner of freedom. 
Well, Thomas, we've had a great conversation yeah. here today. You made some really great points. Um, I wish we would have talked about I, more hip hop or music. We'll, we'll get back into it. Let's, let's do round two some other time. Um, we'll see. We'll put it on your platform. <laughs> yeah. I don't Unless know. this blows up well, and gets like 500 like, views and like actually inspires meaningful so, dialogue. I, and I hope it does because you know here's the thing. It's like you know you talk about my side. I don't. I don't have a side that exists. I'm build, I'm building that side right now. I'll you know, own that. That was my I don't, bad. I don't necessarily see this campaign as the end of the process. This is the beginning of the process. You know, I'm getting out there. I'm talking to people. We're building these connections, and and we're gonna make this town better. If I don't win this election, that's great. I'm gonna stay involved, and I'm gonna push for what I you know what I, is in the interest of my children and other children in the community. And we're gonna continue building here. You know, this isn't the end. Did you ever hear that Chris Wig, the the chair of the Democratic Party of Lane County, did you hear what he said about you on Spent the Rent podcast? I didn't, but I, I, I'm doing authentic the Landry's Leadership Initiative with him, so I'll have to go listen. Yeah, authentic reaction right now. He called you a NIMBY. Yep. <laughs> he said you're a stone-cold NIMBY uh, because of your ideas about, I don't know, um, renters. and Yeah, we, we, we've had we've had land use discussions, so... Yeah. Um, you know, whatever we can talk about that another time too. I, you know, land use and transportation. I think builds our community. It's incredibly important mm-hmm. and controls the direction that Eugene's going to head for in the future. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the question for everybody. You know, what is the direction you want Eugene to head for in the future? And I want it to be a great place to live. We can all get along. We can all build each other up. And and we don't do that by starting to tear each other down. So, mm-hmm. okay, um, I think that there's a just a wealth of things like both, <laughs> both like conduct wise or just idea wise that i disagree with but i but i think you are sincere and um thanks for coming on dude thanks for giving me the time thomas you have a great day you too bye bye, everyone (laughs) may 18th